All right, I'm excited to see you today. We're going to be in the second installment of the moral of the story. We're in this section where we're listening to the master teacher, Jesus, who is a master storyteller to get across these truths that are hard for us to grasp. We're looking at two little short stories, combining them together to learn some similarities in those short stories and some differences as well. Jesus is really, really good at teaching us. So we're looking at... A story about a deal of a lifetime today. A story about a deal of a lifetime today. How many of you are into yard sales, garage sales? All right, so you know a bargain when you see one. I wonder if you have a good definition of a bargain. Maybe your definition is something like this one. Something you don't need at a price you can't resist. So you buy this thing, oh, what a great deal, and you do nothing with it. Just it's in your garage, and you sell it at your garage sale. So we're hoping that you get a hold of bargain, the deal of a lifetime, but let's make sure we understand what a bargain is. That's when something really is far more valuable than what you give in exchange for it. And so you receive this thing, and that's why you're so excited, because it's far more valuable than you give in exchange for it. We're going to jump right into Jesus' story. It's a short one. It goes like this. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Aren't you excited about the story? All right, so here's some background about this story. It's just real short. It makes me wonder, is this like the short version you know, is this the one that, you know, the, there's so many of these stories, so that Matthew and his biography of Jesus just kind of packages his story in a short form. I wonder if the whole audience is just hanging on the edge of their seats listening to Jesus laughing, riveted to him as he's telling the story. I don't know if it goes like this, but let's get some background first. People in this time did not have banks. Imagine no banking system. Now, just think about this. And you have stored up some emergency reserve cash, coins, whatever it is in your day. Where do you put it? Where do you hide it? It better be better than where you put the key in front of your door. I mean, seriously. Some of you still don't raise your hands, put the key under the mat. Are you crazy? Or you put the key under a rock that is a fake rock has a key spot. It's like, hello. In that day, you would be found out so fast. And the thing is, in that day, there's no banks. And so robbers and thieves was a really big deal because everything you own, all of your reserves, all of your treasures can go boom like that. So your hiding spots are really, really important. You got to get really creative and think in terms of hiding spots that are different than the hiding spots that everybody uses. Right? So where do you hide your treasure? Now, also important to this story, you need to know that in Jewish civil law, it was such that if you did buy a field, unless provision was made in official documentation, you get everything in that field. And it's legal. Buy the field, you get the treasures too. Boom. So here's this guy. Do you mind if I make the story a little bit longer? We've got to use our imaginations a little bit. Here's this guy who I'm picturing, he's a laborer. He doesn't earn a lot of money. He's working in a field, 
The landowner is hired him out, and what's he doing? All right, so I'm picturing this laborer is plowing the fields, and he's hired by a new landowner to plow these fields, and he's going, why in the world do they go crooked all of a sudden, right? right? He's plowing, oh, there's this, these rocks in the middle of the field. He's, and he's kind of the kind of guy that says, I hate going crooked with my field. I'm taking these rocks out. He pulls out the heavy equipment, an ox, right? And he's, and he's digging, and he's going to move these boulders. And in the process of trying to work out so he can furrow these straight lines in the field, he discovers that big hole is not a critter hole. There's something in it. He goes, whoa, he pulls out a bag, and it's just treasures galore in the bag. And he goes, the landowner doesn't know this is here. He folds it back up, stuffs it in the hole, says, I'm leaving the rocks. And he goes back away, and he's playing. Oh, it's totally legal to do this. The landowner will never know. He's going to put together as much as he can to make an offer for the field, an offer the landowner can't refuse. I just want to buy this portion. Can I buy from here to here to here to here? I'll give you this much. What a deal. Yeah, I'll sell it to you. That's what he's thinking. Okay, he goes home, and he's trying to put together the deal, and he's thinking, I don't have enough. I've got to put it all together. Meanwhile, he's doing, he's kind of running around, acting a little different, his wife notices. I know it's not there, okay? So you've got to use your imagination here. His wife notices, and she doesn't know what to make of it. What's going on? He says, nothing, it's okay, I'm just working on a project. And then she goes off to the market later in the afternoon. It's been kind of a weird day. She goes off to the market later in the day, and then her best friend comes up to her and asks this question that she just goes, where is this coming from? Right out of the blue. She said, if, if you were in financial trouble, you, you'd tell me, wouldn't you? What? What are you talking about? Your husband just sold my husband his ox and your favorite cow and a donkey. So what's going on here? That's the first I heard about it. What are you talking about? Yeah. Are you in trouble? Not that I know of. That's the same thing your husband said. He, in fact, he looked pretty excited talking to my husband, so I kind of followed him around. After he sold the ox and the cow and the donkey, he went down and borrowed 200 denarii from another neighbor. 200 denarii. A denarii is a one day's wage, and her husband's a laborer. Oh, what's going on? She freaks out, and all of a sudden her friend is going, what is... So you didn't know about this? No. And tears are starting to roll. She's thinking, he's having an affair. He's taken off. He's going away. He's, well, what is going on here? So you don't know? I have no idea, but I'm going to go find out. So boom, 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 she heads home. And he's there. He should be working. Something's not right. She opens the curtain. And... <clears throat> There at the table, he's got flour all over his hands. He's been in the hiding spot. He's got coins all over the table, and he's been counting, and he's got all kinds, everything they own is, he's like tallying it up, and their eyes lock, and there's this awkward moment. And she breaks the silence. What are you doing? And then she rolls out with the information she's heard, and he knows he's been found out. He's thinking, small towns, right? <laughs> he's been doing everything he can to keep this on the download, to keep this, because it's only going to work if it's a surprise, total surprise. I mean, a, a thief will know where it is if it's come out, and he will just go take it, 
or somebody else with money will go buy it, so it's gotta be on the down low, and all he says to her is, I'm working on buying something. Well, why didn't you tell me about it? You didn't even tell me that you're selling my favorite cow? It's okay. Uh, it'll be fine. It's not okay. How are you going to pay back 200 denarii on your wages? It's okay. We'll be able to pay it back. We'll all have it all put together in just a matter of days. That is nuts. You're crazy. Shh, shh, shh. All of the neighbors are going to hear, right? Just got to keep this on the down low. That's this story. Okay? You can finish how the rest of the story goes. And Jesus just goes into the next story. Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Now, the beauty of Jesus, of Jesus telling two stories back-to-back -back with a very similar theme is that we get a nuance that we wouldn't get otherwise. I mean, you got similarities, punch, punch, both parties selling everything they own to buy this thing they discover, but there's also a difference. In the first one, you got the common laborer. I mean, he, it's totally accidental that he runs into this thing, but now you've got the expert merchant salesman. Now, the two are way different. A merchant salesman who knows pearls, he has assets to buy and sell pearls. And he's looking for the deal. Maybe he's even heard that there's this pearl that he has a buyer for that's been sold from place to place and they have no idea what they have and it keeps trading and keeps tracing it, following it, hearing the stories. He's going, going, going and he's coming equipped to try to get this thing and he finds this pearl and he thinks, they don't know what they've got. They don't know what they're selling, but I do because he has done his research and he also knows a buyer that he can sell it to. His eyes goes bing. He sees the pearl. I finally found it. He's salivating. He's trying to play his cards cool. I'll buy that. How much is it? The guy apparently knew more than he thought he would know. It's more than he had in his jewel pouches. Okay, I'll be back. <laughs> And he has got to go back and get the other jewel pouches in his hiding spots, and he's going to put it together. It's going to take everything, but as far as he's concerned, it is totally worth it. It's a bargain that's going to pay off 10 times or more of all his treasures, because he is a buyer. He knows that pearl. Now, let's just pause. Both of these are about the kingdom of heaven and an exchange that is made to receive this incredible bargain. In the one story, a person stumbles upon it. In the other story, the person is pursuing it. How many of you stumbled upon a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It just, you just weren't even looking, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, somebody's talking to you, you're hearing more about Jesus, you kind of stumble upon it. And, okay, not very many of you. The rest of you, I'm assuming you're researchers. 
You're doing your market research. You're trying to pursue truth. You're seeking, you're studying, you're comparing it with every other value, and you come to the conclusion, this is it. This is the truth. All the value is here. Jesus is talking about either scenario. We need to make sure we understand what he's talking about. Ready for some blanks? If you like to take notes, this is your turn. If you don't like to notes, you gotta just memorize. Point number one, people will think you are crazy. Whether you stumble into the exchange where you begin to be a follower of Jesus Christ, or whether you're a researcher and you decide this is it, other people who do not see the value that you see are gonna think you're crazy. Why? Because it changes everything. You're exchanging everything that they're looking at in your life to get a hold of this thing. And they think you're absolutely nuts. I ran into a quote that I really loved a number of years ago. I've used it before, so if you've heard this before, you probably heard it from me. I've used it a lot of times. Everybody, somebody's weirdo. So whose weirdo are you? You know, we, we, some people are always afraid of having others look at them strangely or think about them and devalue your values, okay? But everybody is somebody's weirdo. Whose weirdo are you? I want to just take us back to Jesus' day. When Jesus began to call people to be his followers, he was very clear about the cost, he was very clear that it might cost your life. It's going to cost you everything if you want to be my disciple. When Jesus went to the grave, rose from the grave, and commanded them to make disciples of other people in this movement, he ascended right before the eyes of all the disciples, and by then, these disciples were sold out. They're totally committed. They are fearless because Jesus was crucified, resurrected. He conquered the grave if you kill me, no big deal. I'm following a guy who beats death, and I'm going to follow and live forever. But we sometimes forget, when they were baptized, when they were saying, I do, and making this exchange, when Jesus says, will you be mine? And they say, yes, I will. I'll be yours. And they're making this exchange and burying their old lives and being resurrected with Jesus. In their life, at that moment, people began to hate them. Their own sisters, their own brothers, their own mothers, their own fathers began to hate them. You hate me. How could you do this to me? You're a good Jew, and you're turning and following this guy. He obviously is not the Messiah. All the leaders have rejected him. He was crucified. He was risen from the dead, Mom. Pfft. What do you mean risen from the... He was. The values are just not getting through. And your mother might think you're crazy. And she feels like you hate her. And you remember the words of Jesus. Unless you hate your mother and father, brothers and sisters, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to go there where it costs you everything, where others think you're crazy, maybe you're not willing to pay the price that it takes to make this exchange. Point number two. The reason why people think you're crazy is that its value is hidden. The value of the thing that you're receiving is hidden. Now, in the stories, the treasure was hidden. And so he's willing to go at great lengths to get a hold of the hidden treasure. In the story, the second one, the pearl, the value of the pearl is hidden to the buyer 
or the seller and all other buyers except for the expert. That's why they're willing to go to the extremes to be considered crazy to make the exchange to get a hold of this thing. Watch me. Everything that we consider valuable is but dust compared to the kingdom of heaven. Eternity is forever. Our culture pushes now, pushes here, pushes lifetime. That's all you got. This is it. Eat, drink, and be merry because all you got is right now. And Jesus says, there's a hidden value. You ready to trade all of this away and have eternity? Everything you're so busy holding on to is just dust. When you see that value and you begin to operate according to Jesus' values, others look at you and think, what have you, lost your mind? What are you doing? But Jesus says, that's what it's like to follow me in the kingdom. Point number three, it's worth everything. In both stories, that's what's emphasized. Anybody can make the transaction, but in the transaction, it will mean everything, okay? To get at this hidden value that means everything, I was, I don't have time to get into everything that's just flooding my soul to try to, but this morning, I wasn't even planning on sharing this, but I shared it in first service, so you get it too. Here we go. Um, We prayed with the worship team to the right of the stage right after their uh, prep time before we got going for the day. And after our prayer time, I just kind of said to everybody, okay, here's the deal. Paul says in Ephesians that we have been raised with Christ and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We know from what Paul says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And now that we are seated with Christ, we reign in Christ. And I want us to understand these are not just metaphors. This is a reality that there is a kingdom right here and right now that we cannot see. It's worth everything. And that's so powerful that we're actually reigning and ruling when we're connected to Jesus Christ. God's spirit enters into us. Now, I don't don't know what to do with this, but my mind goes, if this kingdom is real, there's a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of light. If it's something literally that can be seen when your eyes are open, your whole soul is flooded with light. Can you imagine if... We could see what is hidden. This kingdom is hidden. Can you imagine? And I was trying to poke and prod the worship team. When you're standing up on the stage, when you're in the media booth, when you are leading us, more is happening than singing a song and mouthing words. There's kingdom power here. I want you to picture an angel on your right, an angel on your left. Don't do it like the cartoons. Angel on your right, angel on your left. I'm talking angel, okay? (laughs) And you can't, it's like a brilliant, bright angel who lives, is literally worshiping God in the presence of the sovereign Savior King for real. And out here are other worshipers as well. And some of us have been away from the fire. We've been away from the light. We're like this charcoal briquette that's like barely lit. And we come into this room. And all of a sudden, when your faith is engaged, the light of the glory of the kingdom, we're now reigning with Christ. And I poked and prod the worship team. Because I said, here's the reality. Even when I pray sometimes, 
my faith sometimes disengages. I'm just saying words that I don't really believe. There's no power there. But if my faith engages, all of a sudden the power goes... And this thing in the kingdom, we're reigning in Christ. All these embers and coals coming together, our faith engaged, the kingdom is going to go in power beyond us. This means everything that we think is so valuable is dust compared to the power and eternity and life change that can take place as we open to the kingdom. There's another way to look at it. Not only is it worth everything till we set it all aside, okay, I'm willing to give this up, this up, this up, it's all yours, I'm following you, let's flip it around. Jesus knew when he was teaching about the kingdom, it was gonna cost him everything. As far as he's concerned, he's looking at you and me and he sees value that nobody else sees. You are created as eternal beings who need to be washed clean and to become part of his kingdom. And he's going to purchase you with his shed blood. It cost him everything. And once he pays that price, he says, are you willing to follow me this means it'll cost you everything in this exchange. I want to be careful, though. You can't buy the kingdom. Point number four. It's priceless, but it's free. Why? Because Jesus paid for it. Here's a couple of quotes to put that together. How can something be priceless but free? That doesn't make any sense, but it does. God paid for you to have it, but he only gives it to you if you're willing to make the exchange. I've paid for it. It's yours. God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for the entire world, but only those who are willing to make the exchange to by faith engage and connect with what Jesus has done, enter into his kingdom. After we're forgiven, the spirit enters in and we now reign with Christ and there's power there to walk and reign in a kingdom that's more valuable than everything that we're living out according to this world's way of looking at things. The moral of the story is this. The deal of a lifetime is an exchange of everything you have for everything God has for you. For everything. That's a pretty good deal, right? And yet you're not buying it, you're receiving it. You're just saying, everything else that was my obsession, everything else that was so important to me, I recognize now that you are everything, and I am submitting it all to you, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So it's like if you pull out your big bag of treasures and give it all over, and he says, is that everything? Uh, I have a house. Okay, give that to me too. Is that everything? My kids? Give, that, give, me my, give me your kids. My kids? Is that everything? My wife? Give me your wife. Everything. It means that now it's all yours. And then he says, but I'll give them back to you. Now live it all to my glory. It's not yours. That's the exchange. I want to put it in a prayer. I want to let you take a look at it. Here's the prayer. Read this quietly, because we're going to read it out loud if this resonates with your soul. It was a revelation to me not too long ago when I had another obsession that was brought to my face. I just kept wanting to do this thing. I'll just say what it was. It was a stupid video game. Okay? Obsessed. And God was just saying, you're making yourself tired. It's really not worth it. You got something better to live for. You just need to put this aside. So I took it off my phone. Because there's only one obsession that makes us whole. Every other obsession pulls us away from the center of life. And only when their center is whole does everything else come together right. Are you willing to submit it all and give it all to the Savior of the universe, the ruler of the world, who is higher than the highest, king of all, and able to order it all for you. This treasure is worth everything. Let's stand together. If you're willing, here's a prayer. I think there's great value in speaking it aloud. I think kingdom things are taking place right here and now. Let's declare our faith. To the degree that you engage, there's more power. To the degree that you disengage, you're cutting yourself off from the power of God. Can you trust him? Dear God, I want this deal of a lifetime. Lord Jesus, thank you for lovingly pursuing me and holding nothing back in the purchase price you paid for me. You are my treasure. I love you because you first loved me. I trade in every other obsession to have and to hold you as my hidden treasure. You are the only obsession that makes me whole. Because you gave yourself for me, I give myself to you. Your kingdom is mine, and I am all yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen?